You're in tune to the Underrated Dudes Podcast featuring DJ Sean Blue, Big Al, and Claude Deuce. I just want to share this real quick. So um, I have been kind of doing a lot of stuff locally for, for different artists, and I was really appreciative for that because it really just kind of helped me to sharpen my craft and um but I was just, you know, like anybody else that wants to do this, I was like, okay, I need a big placement. Like, I really need a big place. So I was introduced to uh, a guy who became my my manager. And he had a situation. He was working at the Gospel Music Channel at that time, which was booming. Um, before that, he had done a stint working with uh, Word Records. And so he, you know, was in the game. You know what I'm saying? He was, he was a... Uh, uh, like a playmaker, if you will. And so, you know, he knew some people at Verity and was like, hey, got this song called The Word. Let's push it. Let's push it to, to Dietrich Hatton. Yeah, I'm mm. saying the name. I'm saying the name. Dietrich Hatton. This is Verity <laughs> Records. And so, you know, we uh, we make this long story short. We push the song. Uh, they say they like it. You know, Dietrich's people like it. He's going to record it or whatever. I remember even talking to him well before he recorded, but just after it being confirmed that he was going to do the song, I talked with him on the phone and I was like telling him how much of a fan I was. And I started going back to like his, I started naming like his early projects just to let him know, you know, how much of a fan I was and how I looked up to him and how, you know, even along the way he influenced my sound and, you know, some of my musical choices that I would make, even in production and stuff like that. And, you know, he was, he came across, you know, appreciative of what I was saying to him and all that. And he was like, man, love the song. Can't wait to record it. Boom, boom, boom. So this is the day of MySpace, right? We're talking like late 07, uh, early 08. And so the producer of the song, Percy Beatty, reaches out to me on MySpace. And he's like, hey, we cutting your song tomorrow. I just want you to send me the lyrics. So I send him the lyrics. And here's one of my main gripes about gospel is still a gripe. Artists will record your song and you might know when they're going to record it. You will not hear it probably until it comes out <laughs> or you may hear it just before it comes out. It's so rare. But anyway, thank God I had management. So maybe like a month after they recorded it, my manager got it and he was like, they changed the lyrics. So I was like, oh, they did? So I'm listening to the song. The hook pretty much was the same. The verses were different. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. They didn't tell you they was going to change it? Did not tell me. Oh. Did not tell me. No, wow. Percy, Percy just asked I, I didn't. I didn't know we were going to go here. Well, let's get it, baby. Okay, I'm ready. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Come we got to keep the people. We got to keep the people coming back. So I was like, let me throw this in there real quick. So, so look, look. I um, it's a month after the session. I finally hear it. They've changed the lyrics. So I was, I asked, you know, my man, I'm like, can they do that? And he was like, yeah. He was like, so, but if you don't want it to go on the album, we can say that and we can pull it. 
this is going to be my first, you know what I'm saying? Like first big placement, you know what I'm saying? Like a song I wrote, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh man, uh, I don't want them to pull it. So I told him like, all right, let's just, let's just leave it. You know? All right, cool. I was being told that it was going to be one of the singles that Verity was going to roll out two singles on Dietrich for this album. The album's called Revealed. Mm -hmm. The first and second single, respectively, was I'm Alive and The Word. Right? I'm Alive was produced uh, Warren Campbell, written by Warren and Eric Dawkins and Dietrich Hatton. So I'm like, dang, I'm in good company, right? So, all right, we get to the business. We got to get to the business. We find out Dietrich wants half of the publishing. Again, yeah, this is my first big placement. I'm I'm green. I'm like, can he do this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I was like, he can do it. Uh, yeah. We don't have to agree to it. So once again, it's the ball's back in my court. Like, do you want to pull this whole thing? So I'm like, no. So Alvo was like, here's what we'll do. We'll hire a musicologist, right? The job of the musicologist, they they had to bring um I think they brought one in recently with this uh, Ed Sheeran case and then the Marvin Gaye family estate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they bring a musicologist. What they do, they just listen to your original uh, song and then they listen to the new song up against it. Right. And so, of course, uh, musicologists rather moved in my favor and said, "Nah, he he shouldn't get 50 um, if. At the most 15. 15% of the publishing. Of course, he didn't like that. Um, I found out later the reason why he wanted so much is because he his publishing would get split up amongst like two other entities. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, as, as I got older in the industry, I thought about it. I said, yeah, I probably would ask for, you know, a certain amount first as well, you know. But I was just like, man, 50? You didn't write half of the song. Why you why you want 50? So anyway, man, make this long story even shorter. He said, if I don't get 50, I'm not putting the song on the album. Well, a good friend of my manager, she worked at Verity at the time, Monica Bacon. We call her names. Monica <laughs> said, no, you're going to do the song and it's going to be a single. This is how Dietrich got us, man. So he's cool. He's cool with he's cool with what he what he got, you know, percentage wise. But he refuses to sing the song anywhere, <clears throat> bro. You got to remember the time, right? So the album comes out in 08. but before that, Marvin Sapp had just killed everybody. Would that never would have made it? Like a few right. years before that, right? And I was hearing stories. I was hearing stories about Marvin's royalty checks from the radio. I just knew. I just knew old Dietrich Haddon <laughs> was going to help me get close to the Marvin Sapp success. You know what I'm saying? I was like, we may not cross over to like Urban AC, right. you know, adult contemporary, but at least we can rule and dominate these gospel charts for a little while. So I just had high hopes. I was like, man, I'm buying me a crib. I'm buying a range. <laughs> I just started figuring out everything I wanted to get. My man already was already <laughs> counting his money, boy. <laughs> and my man did not sing the song 
at all. He just refused. He wouldn't do. He wouldn't do a music video for the song. My manager's wife is a videographer. She offered to do a music video for the song for free. Still didn't because he didn't get what he wanted on the publishing end. That was like, that was one of my biggest wake up calls to the gospel music industry. I have several more, but I'm going to hold them for some other episodes. But you guys have any you want to share? Yeah. Go ahead, Blue. Okay. Now, I remember you telling me straight 10. Boy, it was cold. Little man was cold. You know what I'm saying? I'm just let y'all know, ladies and gentlemen, this this fellow was a problem at 10. Man said he started singing around two, but at, I came in the scene. He was 10 years old. This man was leading songs for the choir and all that. But anyway, let me give y'all my story. I'm going to fast forward all the way around the time your album came. Well, 2008. I'm going to talk about the Arrow Records. It's official mixtape. Yeah, it dropped in 09, right? Dropped in 09, 09 yeah. right? By this time, had a little name to myself, you know, Sean Blue floating around, had a few mixtapes that was moving around. Things was, you know, I was good. So I had a homie that was working at Arrow Records, my man D. Woods, a.k.a. Chicago Real. Shout out to him. So he was like, he gave me that call. He was like, yo, Blue, man, I got something for you, bruh. Like, what's up? What we got? He said, listen, label want to do a mixtape, man. So I'll put your name in the hat like, yo, I know the, I know the guy who can do it. I said, word? So he was like, yeah, man. So you interested? I said, yeah, man. This is going to be a commercial release. So I'm thinking at the time, Clue did the professional part one, the professional part two, Funkmaster Flex. Did his 60 minutes of funk mixtapes. They went gold. Clue's joint went platinum. So I was like, yo, yeah, it's my turn. You know what I'm saying? So I was excited about it. We start talking. And um, I let him know, yeah, let's do it. So my man, D, sent me the tracks. And I kind of, I already had kind of put the the mix in sequence. I had I already had the mixtape already done really so i knew i had to re-record it so i was ready when we went to the when i went to the a atlanta to record it i was already knew how it was supposed to flow so i already had all everything ready to go so it's time to head to the a to do it and uh i got to the studio and uh there was like uh hey um where you going I got the track listing for you. Like, uh, what you mean? And this was the uh, general manager slash A&R. I'm just going to say Jessica. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, track list? What you mean? She said, I got the track listing order for you. Nah, nah, hold up, hold up, hold up. You know, when it comes to doing a mixtape, you guys ask for a mixtape. If I do it like this, now we doing it. This is a compilation. It's not gonna mix. These BPMs gonna be all over, all over the place. If I put it the way you want it, you wanted the mixtape. So at at that point, I was already in the studio. We get ready to record. So I called my man D. I was like, "Hey man, what? hey, 
they talking about me. They giving me a track list how to do the mix. I read mean, this thing is supposed to go. Y'all want a mixtape, right? And so he was like, oh, no, Blue, man. I was like, no, I ain't doing this, man. So my man was like, no, oh, Blue, just chill, man. Just, just trust me. Just try, man. Just so, okay. Okay. So I went by the track listing that they gave me. You know what I'm saying? So recorded it in that sequence that they gave me. Then it was time for me to do, you know, the vocals, the shout outs, you know, the ad libs and all that. They had a script for me of what to do. Wait a minute. So you mean to tell me you got a script for me? So it was like, here, say something like this here, and then say something like this here. But I was like, okay, I'm going to ride this way because I'm thinking this is going to be a, this is a universal re recordings release. Hey, this is an opportunity for me to hit that next level. So I did the project. I wasn't really happy about the situation, but by the time I knew it was going to be a national recording, you know, the due date when it was coming out, boom, all right, let's do it. So basically, uh, it was a compilation that I wasn't really happy about. It was supposed to be a mixtape. So anyway, the um, the joint's supposed to drop. And uh, so I got up the, that morning because I was going to go buy it. You know what I'm saying? I was going to go buy it. I was going to go to the store. Because they said it was going to be at uh, Walmart. It was going to be at Best Buy. All these these outlets. Right? So, mm -hmm. got in the car. got up early. I went to Best Buy. No, it wasn't on it. No, I went to Walmart first. I went to Walmart, Walmart near where I live. They didn't have it. Okay, maybe he's at the one across town. Jumped in a ride, went across town. He wasn't on the shelf there. I saw yours, Deuce. I saw your album on the shelf. So I was like, my man, right here. Go. Okay, my joint wasn't on the on the on the, uh, on the shelf. So I left Walmart. Then I went to Best Buy. Went to Best Buy. I told the guy, I say, listen, uh, I'm looking for uh, Arrow Records. It's official remix, and dude, he was like, "Hey, bro, you are you are you on this album or something?" I guess I was I was pressing him to look for the album, so he said, "You know what? I think I think it may still be in the back." So anyway, he went in the back and he found it. Wow, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, "So he said you want it?" <laughs> By this time, man, <laughs> I was like. Nah, bro, I'm good, man. But he was like, yo, congratulations on that. Da, da, da. So I, had, I found it at Best Buy, but it was on the back, but it wasn't on the shelf. So there was a Christian bookstore <laughs> across the way. So I said, well, let me check and see if it was at a Christian bookstore. Went in a Christian bookstore. Yeah, it is right there. But at that particular moment, that time, Expect it to be at the Christian bookstore. Right. I was looking for it to be, you know, Walmart because I was, you know, I had my little camera phone. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was going to take the picture, you know, post it on MySpace, let everybody know, hey, man, I got a fish wild out. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it from a Christian bookstore. I just kind of walked out. So all this is going on. 
people are calling me, you know, because the man, the way I, the way I was promoting it and let everybody know, I let every family member know, everybody know that I knew that I was going to be on this, this project and it was going to be out. It's going to be in stores. Y'all need to go get it. You know, so I made a big deal, but nobody couldn't find it. So that really made it, you know, that really didn't help either because I couldn't find it. Then everybody that I know that I told, they couldn't find it. I mean, I went on radio, radio shows, promoting it, mm-hmm. blogs, everybody. Nobody can find it. So now this time, by this time, I'm 38. So I call the label. Hey, man, y'all told me that I was going to be out. What's up with that? Right, uh, hey, nah, nah, man. It's going to be at, it's going to be at, at limited locations. Wait a minute. I didn't say that from the, from, 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 from the jump. Y'all was telling me universal release. It's going to be out in stores. It's going to be available on all platforms or whatever. What's up? Right. And they tell me something totally different. So, okay. All right. Well, disappointed. You know what I mean? Right. But I kept, you know, you know, I was like, okay, cool. You know, but that was very disappointing that I, it was a major release. Mm-hmm. That I put out there, that I promoted. Not only that, <laughs> going back to the whole beginning of putting the, the project together, that didn't help because I really didn't think that was my best work. But mm-hmm. I thought it was a situation that was going to take me to the next level, you know, for me to do what I've been doing. You know, I put the mixtapes out. I had a lot of mixtapes out by that time. But this was supposed to be been a situation that I felt was going to pull me over the hump. Because like I said, I'm thinking like professional too. 60 minutes of funk, like Funkmaster Flex. He went gold, Clue went platinum. You know what I'm saying? So that was a, I mean, that's an achievement. Uh, I can, you know, I can tell my kids about people (laughs) about, but uh, that was, that was a very disappointing situation. It is more to the story, but yeah, that was very disappointing. I feel you, man. Al, what you what you got, man? I'm listening to y'all. I'm like, man, you know, my my situation has been uh, uh, still, you know, just going back to what I said, like all of my things have been weird. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that I ever have been or had been uh, presented with a situation where it was like something was going to get dropped and there's going to be this big deal, you know, internationally or whatever, except for, I think it was what, 2000. I can't remember what year it was, but, you know, speaking of Arrow Records, you know what I'm saying? Claude, Claude, Claude and I were supposed to be on the Cajo family album. Oh my God. And, uh, man, I remember when we got the, uh, when we got the artwork for the, the album cover, and I saw my picture and my name on it. And I was like, Lord, this is about to be something. And then there was nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like there was like absolutely nothing. Like, like no talk, no, no, we, you know, we had anything like, man, like there was nothing ever said about it again, like right. nothing. And so, um, but that had to, you know what I'm saying? Like that was the only thing concerning that for me, man, my entire situation has been like I, I listened to both of y'all saying that, you know, y'all were, you know, of course, exceptional at your craft and just knew how great you were. And people were able to pull out how great you were. And, you know, saying like y'all had situations that 
didn't materialize uh, to the degree that y'all thought they would. For me, I have, I've, I feel like I've always been pushed aside. Like I've always been kept uh, like in a, in a, in a padded room. And what I mean by that is, man, my, my life has been, you know, exceptional and weird simultaneously uh, speaking career wise, because, you know, I mean, right out the gate into my career, the person that I idolized the most in the gospel music industry became the number one gospel music artist in the world, you know, and had the number one gospel music album and song in the world. And went six for six in the Stellars that had never been done prior to that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, and it was like, this is my friend. This is somebody that I talked to that I have his cell phone number, his house number, his address, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, and so of course that was that was Tone B Slade, you know what I'm saying? And then like the way my life moved from there. You know, I look back at these experiences I had where, you know, and, and I think it was um, 05, I believe it was, that um, that New Life, <laughs> New Life Worship Center uh, invited me to come and, and serve as the MC for uh, Claude Deuce's Minister of Music Appreciation Program in August. Yeah, and, yeah. and I get there, and I think I'm about one or two weeks after Montreal, Derek. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, like, you know, I get there and Canton Jones is a special guest that that night. Mm-hmm. And not only did Claude connect even more so with Canton, I connected with Canton that night. And that wasn't even a thought in my head. I was just like, like, like I did this is just being honest. I was in such fan mode that one, I'm at Claude Deuce's church. And then two, you telling me that Ken Jones is going to be here too? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like this was, it was, it was mind boggling. And I, I don't know if it's, I can't remember if it's actually 05 or 06, but I think it was 05. And, um, and I'm pretty sure it was 05. And, uh, and so we, you know what I'm saying? Like I've had these experiences where I've, you know, I've met Kent and had his number and, you know, and I have to exclude Claude from this situation because clearly you can see that we have, like done an entire album together, but like there are people in this industry that are, I mean, just, you know, have been phenomenal. So Slade, uh, Canton Jones, uh, John P. Key. I go to John P. Key's church. We have a conversation. John P. Key's listened to my album. He literally told me his favorite song on the opening act was boom. And I was like, wow. So, you know, gives me a cell phone number, blah, 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 blah. Um, the Williams brothers, um, um, Charles Jenkins, uh, mm. Dietrich Haddon. Dietrich Haddon, um, had, uh, he was releasing, I think it was in 2011. He was releasing Church on the Moon. And he had a, a release party in Detroit. The first and only time in my entire life that I have gone to Detroit, Michigan, was to go to the Church on the Moon album release concert. And I performed at the Church on the Moon album release concert and killed them. Like, had a great set, like, to where everybody was like, yo, who is this? 
you know, and so uh, I've just had those kind of situations. Um, uh, beyond that, like Tim Rogers, like there, there have been so many Bobby Jones, so many of these people who actually have this real life ability to say uh, at one time they either they either had labels. And or one time they had like situations where they could have been like, yo, I'm going to allow Big Al into this space. But for some reason, they never would. They never have. And so it made me wonder if I if my if my ability was uh, up to par enough for a long time. And it, it like it crippled me for a long time, unbeknownst to a lot of people, you know, so it crippled me because it's like, why do I know these things? I'm sorry. But I was like, why do I know these people and nothing is happening? Like yeah. absolutely nothing is happening. And it was like, am I, am I trash? You know what I'm saying? But what was crazy, I mean, Lecrae, Tadashi, mm-hmm. yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it was just like these guys, man, Trey Nine, oh my gosh, the whole the whole uh, Much Love Records family, Trey yep. Nine and Jimmy McDowell and all them boys in Houston. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, bro, they used to, they used to have me at these, I'm at the South by Southwest Music Festival. Mm-hmm. I'm at, you know, I'm I'm at these spaces and people are like, what is the deal with this dude? Because like I had this thing where everybody even got to a point where they would ask me, how in the world do you manage to rock? Like literally was a, a question from uh, an established artist. How do you manage to rock an audience and you don't move anywhere on the stage, but you draw them in? And I, and I go back to what Claude was saying. This is what y'all did not know. I was so influenced by Tone, but y'all know I'm a hundred pounds heavier than everybody. <laughs> in the crew. You know what I'm saying? So I'm I'm super I'm super influenced by Tone. So like when I used to do my performances, I used to put like little dance breakdowns in the middle of a song. And I'll never forget, bro. It's August back to school event in uh northeast Louisiana. It's 102 degrees outside. We're outside doing the back to school event. I'm performing. I got this song, Dance With Me. And in the middle of it, um, Tony had produced an artist named Lindsay. And she had a song called Not Hot. And he had this little dance breakdown in the middle of the song. So I snatched that dance, (laughs) the number, put up with that that little part, put that into the Dance With Me song and like created this whole dance routine. So like, you know, it was like, it got to the one part, it was like, doom. I want to. I think I want to dance. And I'm dancing, but I'm a hundred pounds heavier than everybody in the squad. <laughs> so, bro, I'm talking about I danced, and then I couldn't finish this song. Like I was just like throwing my hand up, like getting like I had no words because I had no wind. And it was just like you know, but I, I mean, I was trying everything. Like you know, say it was like. I've gone through a whole <laughs> lot in like trying to right. like, trying to find myself and then not only that, like trying to be okay with who it was because I just did not understand why was why am I connected to all these people and and it doesn't matter. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, d- d- like I'm not on their stages, I'm not on their labels, I'm not into any conversations with them 
war with any of their people. What is it just for me to say, oh, because I'm not one of these people that just go out here like, oh, yeah, man, I got his cell. You know, I can hit him up right now. Like, what I'm going to do that for? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't I don't care that I have yourself on them. What is it? But then at the same time, it's like, I don't, maybe it was, you know, me like not asking. I don't know. But what it did was for years, man, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, it just, you know, it just crippled me, you know what I'm saying? And, and made me believe that maybe I, maybe I'm not as tough as, you know what I'm saying, they think I should be. But then on the flip of that, what's been crazy is as long as they've been working, I've been working. Yeah. As long as they've been performing, I've been performing. Right. You know what I'm saying? Now, of course, I don't have, I don't have the, the celebrity, the level of celebrity that they have, but the consistent work and the consistent, like, you know, saying like entertaining audiences and being a blessing to people like the track record is there. But it's like I think it's like there's this thing where I feel like they just keep me in a padded room like, nah, we can't let Al get out here. You know, what I'm saying like, you know, and I, I you know, and it, it, like I said, it used to just it, it used to bother me psychologically, you know, for a long time. And I'm just starting to just be OK with the fact that like, man, I, I think they. No, like you know, what I'm saying? I think that people know it's like, man, like I could, you know, what I'm saying I'm cool, but when when they come to you know getting on the stage and grabbing the mic, it's like let's get it, you know, what I'm saying like I don't care who it is, you know, where it is, you know, I had I had one situation in my life where I felt like I was in trouble on the stage, and and uh, and it probably was a get back, you know, on the cool, you know, being honest. So uh, my boy, Ken Jones, you know what I'm saying? Like we we did an event together in uh, Alexandria, Louisiana. And uh, and of course he had the bigger name and the bigger draw. And uh, so, you know what I'm saying? Everybody was excited to see him. But that particular night, man, I don't know what happened. I was just, I was on. And, and, and I put that smoke to him. You know what I'm saying? Like I did, like I put that smoke to him the next year. The truth came, my boy, my boy, Emmanuel, Pastor Man, he came through same place and he really was in trouble. You know what I'm saying? But again, these are cats that know me. Well, you know what I'm saying? A few years later, we're on the Tom George Fantastic Voyage Cruise and we're doing a, a midnight hip, a, a midnight gospel show. It's uh, hosted by Willie Moore Jr. The artists on the ticket are, uh, me, Jonathan McReynolds, Kiara Shear, Canty Jones. Curtis Blow uh, had just dropped a, a, a Christian hip-hop joint, so yeah. he wanted to be on the show, so they added him at the last minute. So Willie Moore's, you know, hosting, so it goes Curtis Blow, then it goes Johnny Mac, then it goes Big Al, then it goes Canty Jones, then it goes Kiara, because Kiara is the biggest draw. I bet. So... Willie Moe got up, Curtis Blow got up, did his thing, but Curtis Blow, Curtis Blow's sound was incredibly dated, you know, for what we were doing. First generation. Was, <laughs> yeah, so then Johnny Mac, John McReynolds got up, and he, bro, he swooned on him so hard. He was singing on him so cold, like his voice was really working that night. Mm -hmm. And I felt so great because I was like, oh, man, coming up behind this, they're going to be ready for some energy. So I was like, ah, this is great. So William Moore Jr. gets up and he's like, this next man coming to the stage, I've been knowing my boy for a long time. Facts. 
because Willie Moore Jr. and I know each other, been knowing each other a long time. So it's like it got his cell phone up. So it's like, it's like I'm like, fact. He was like, when I first came over to this side, he was one of the first brothers to embrace me. Facts. He was like, when I moved to Atlanta, this man invited me to his house and like really, really, you know, showed me the ropes. So I was like, not me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so, so he he started, I mean, and he just rolling like a like, you know, like he's getting his introduction on. And so he's like, Y'all start making some noise. And I was like, hey, 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 he that's not me. That's not me. I'm telling the, the stage uh production manager, I'm like, that's not me, that's not me. He's introducing the wrong person. And they were like, huh? And then he was like, Y'all give it up for my boy. Kenton Jones and then they were like no 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 so they flagged with it down and they say it's Big Al that he says oh and he goes to turn around and Kenton Jones say he said me D-Nail 300 and so when he said that Demetrius hit that button on his playback and that thing whoo and we give you glory, God, to the money, 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 money. He, saw, he was like, he was like, if y'all can't get the Lord to pray, let's get it. He's like, dun, 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 dun. And, bro, when I tell you, Canton Jones went on to give us 20 minutes of mayhem yeah. on that ship. Oh, it was the best thing I ever seen. And all I said was, I don't want to go. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to follow that. <laughs> Man, I was so scared. I was like, oh my God. And I mean, he tore it down, like straight up tore it down. And when I got out there, man, I was so scared. I can't lie. But when you give me that microphone, it is what it is. Right. So no matter how hard it was, it was like, the thing was, I was like, I can't, I can't sink. I got to get out here and at least swim. If not, like At least keep it at the same level, if not take it to the next. Yeah. And so I was able to hold it. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take it to the next level, but I kept it at the level that it was uh, so much so to where David and Tamala Mann were like, yo, who who is he? They were like, man, we got to do something with you. And I think I've been, Claude and I talked about this years ago that we were going to write this song called Broken Promises. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> if I tell you how many promises that I have had in that regard that have been broken, then I think that's what it is. It's like people just get to that point like, nah. We need to keep keep Big Al at bay because he nah that's that's different. Right. So that that's that's just kind of how everyone mind has been. I haven't had like you know like situations where y'all have where it's like these you know international and global deals that could take place. It's just like I've had these really really you know crazy relationships with all these people who at one point or another have been at the top of the game and to no avail of anything. They give me some. Me and my man I Rock Jesus, we call it uh, weekend love, and we've <laughs> all, we've all experienced that. I even heard it in what you were saying, and weekend love, and what gospel Jay, it's a convention talk. Convention talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we call it that weekend love. That is, you know. Friday, Saturday, whatever the event, everybody's hype, everybody's dapping up each other, everybody's cool. Yeah, yeah, man, let me get your number, man. Holler at you. Yo, man, holler at me. Give me a call Monday. Okay? Mm-hmm. Call you Monday or whenever. I give you that call. Phone ring. Straight to voicemail. Right. Okay? And okay, you tell me to call on at 1 o'clock. Oh, I'm going to hit him by 115. Uh, 1.20. What's up, man? You know, anytime they answer the phone, they say, yo, what up, fam? 
you know it ain't going nowhere. You know what's crazy is, and I guess <laughs> that's why it's so bad, because I guess I was spoiled right off the bat, because off the bat, off the rip, it was Tone. So when when I met Tone, <laughs> The night that I the night that I really linked up because I had met him the year before at the Stellars. I took a picture with him. The year following at the Stellars, I took a picture mm-hmm. with him and talked to him. But a month and a half after the Stellars, he was in Louisiana in Baton Rouge doing a um a testing rally concert at this okay. church. And uh and I pulled up, you know what I'm saying? Because I was like, if he was ever anywhere in my vicinity, I wanted to see him in the show. And so it was him, his mom, rest her soul, and uh his manager at the time, Mark. Okay. And uh, his road manager. And so they're there. And so I pull up and that night, like I'm watching this dude wreck. I'm talking about wreck. So after it was over, get ready to leave, you know what I'm saying? Like the uh, the the pastor's wife who was in charge of this event, who I had spoken to quite a few times because she was an educator as well. Uh, when I got ready to leave, her team was like, hey, she doesn't want you to leave yet. Can you just hang around for a minute? I'm like, sure. So I hang around. T comes out to like greet some of the kids who were staying back. I guess they were like some of the kids of the some of the, the, the church that was hosting. And so he came out to sign autographs and take pictures. And this dude turned around. He looked, he's like, hey, bro, don't leave. I need to holler at you. He's talking to me. Now, this is a guy that I have idolized for the last three, four, four years of my life. Like I have done everything I can to research every single thing about him because I was that locked in. And so when he got when he got done with all those kids taking pictures and everything, I walk over to him and he's like, man, I just want to sow seed into what I believe is an incredible ministry. And so he dapped me up with the holy handshake. <laughs> and he was like, you know what I'm saying? And so I just, you know, put it in my pocket. So we just started talking, you know what I'm saying? And I was telling him, I had emailed him a couple of times, whatever. And then I was telling him I had just met him a month ago at Stellas. He was like, I don't remember that. But then he goes into this trance almost where he's like, when, when I was, he said, I was at Six Flags last summer. And I was dancing on the stage. Yolanda Adams brought me out there. And I said, he said, I kicked my two-way pager off into the audience. Did you pick up my pager? And I was just like, how do you remember that? I right. Like, he picked it off to the audience. I picked it up and gave it to security. This dude remembered it to the T. And Mark just bust out laughing. He was like, man, his mind is bad like that. I was like, bro, that's toe up. You know what I'm saying? But we were just sitting there talking. And so he was like, man, have you ever heard of the gospel here at this Praise and Worship Conference? I was like, yeah. He said, I got to sing there next week. Can you get to Atlanta? He said, if you can get there, I'll take care of everything. I just need you to get there. And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm a school teacher. We're getting ready for testing as well. He said, I'll tell you what. Hey, Mark, come here. So Mark, he said, give me a car. So on the back of Mark's car, he writes, his cell number, his house number, and his wife's cell number on the back of the phone. He was like, call me Tuesday after this time. And on Tuesday, I called him and we talked for three hours. Wow. This, this is the first. And then he starts telling me, he was like, you like even that day, he was like, you already knew you were ink And I was like, huh? Like, don't tell me I'm new, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, in my mind, I'm right, like, what? Right. So then after we talked for like three hours, he was like, I gotta introduce you to uh to Shiz and to and to uh to Cino and blah 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 blah. So next thing I know, like a couple of days later, I'm on a conference call with with Claude, with Shiz Montana, rest his soul, you know what I'm saying, Apple Jacks, 
mm-hmm. and Slay. You know what I'm saying? Like we all in the call, and I'm just like, that was how it started. So mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Every time you know what I'm saying, somebody would hit me with that. After that, I guess I was just kind of spoiled from this first one, considering this man had the number one album and the number one song right. in the country. Like you know what I'm saying? It's like like I'm thinking that oh okay, well if you Mr. Rudy Pooh gonna give me your name and number, then and you say call me this day, then I'm gonna call you that day. You know what I'm saying? But right. you know it's just it, bro, I, I I feel you that weekend love really hit me when you said it. But it's like I guess <laughs> right off the bat, like I was I was it, I was treated differently. So it was like you know, and I will say that about about T man like. Slade always been different in in that regard. You know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna lie. He taught me a lot of things. Yeah. And we'll talk about that over the course of this podcast. Yes, we will. He taught me a lot of things because I cannot lie to you and tell you that there haven't been times when my boy flew into a city. I spoke to him. He flew out of it when we were supposed to be connected. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he like, hey, man, hey, uh, we're going to link up tonight by midnight. And I'm calling his phone like midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock. Then he hit me at eight o'clock the next morning. Like, oh, man, I'm back in Diego. I'm like, I'm still in (laughs) Arkansas. Like, what's going on? Like, I thought we was connected. You know what I'm saying? So he taught me a lot of stuff in a lot of, you know, in a lot of ways from that. But, yeah, man, I just... That weekend love, yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. You you know, you get that convention talk, you know, all yeah. the time, and and you know, what I'm saying don't nothing shake. So, but but you know, it's interesting. What you're saying for me is a lot of those, a lot of people that you mentioned, a lot of artists I work with, I never got that. I never experienced what you experienced with Tony. I never got that. Man. You know, I got phone calls. My, you know, it's it's normally like, hey, blue, I need you to do this, da da da. Can you do this, man, da da da? But that right there, because that man took you under his wing. Yep. You know what I'm saying? I never got that. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. I'll saying? tell you, all the course of this podcast, it's so many things, man. Like y'all talk about stories. Yeah, I got so many stories with <laughs> we Slade. Yeah, man. I got so many stories with Claude Deuce. Yeah. I got stories with Dietrich Haddon. Mm-hmm. I got stories with Canton Jones. Yeah, like you know what I'm saying, like these guys, <laughs> man. You know, like like they they like helped shape my career and my sound, but they also just like helped shape me into being the artist, the minister, the entertainer, and the person that I am today because there are a lot of things that they did that I that I emulate, but there are a lot of things that they've done that I'm like, nah, that ain't that ain't for me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that ain't that ain't for me. And so there there are plenty of stories that y'all are gonna hear. Oh yeah. The the, the underrated dudes. It's <laughs> gonna be crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, those of you who are listening, listen, join us next week. We're going to talk about the impact of streaming on the independent artists and on the industry as a whole. We're going to share some more, uh, some more cool stories. Uh, man, this is, this is fun. Uh, I hope y'all like this. This is the underrated dudes podcast. Hey fellas, I'll see y'all next week. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.